Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart, welcoming you back at the end of the week for our weekly market recap, featuring, as usual, my good friend Lance Roberts. Hey, Lance, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how are you doing, Adam? Good. I'm doing well. All right, look, um, some really interesting, interesting things to talk about this week, Lance, and why don't we start with the market action. Um, so after a rip-roaring start to the new year, uh, markets have kind of been in, in uh, you know, trickle-down mode, I guess I'd say, over the past week or so, where some of that upward momentum is sort of stalled out here. Um, and so I guess the big question is, is, is this a sign of things topping out, or is this just the pause that refreshes before we head off to new highs here? Um, what are your indicators telling you is more likely? Well, no, the, you know, the, the correction has you know, probably has started. And, and the reason is, is one of our primary indicators that we look at and that we follow really regularly um, kept us out of trouble last year repeatedly on both getting us into rallies as well as out of rallies is uh, just registered a sell signal on Thursday. So we now have one of our primary sell indicators in place that, um, you know, that suggests that probably markets aren't going to go anywhere. Now, you got to be careful with, you know, when you talk about sell signals and corrections and those type of things, because, you know, one thing is, is, as you say, oh, market just gave a sell signal, and then everybody goes panics and go, Lance said the market's going to crash and they go sell everything. That, <laughs> that's not what a sell signal means. What a sell signal means is that prices probably aren't going to go up in the near term, but you can work off an overbought condition in the markets simply by going sideways. And we saw that a lot last year. We saw long periods where the weeks markets just was trapped in a range. And then finally they either break up or break down from wherever they were. So um, we've got the sell signal in place. Markets are likely going to correct. There's a tremendous amount of support um, below current levels. Um, you have the 50-day moving average, which is now crossed above the 200-day moving average. We've got the downtrend line from the January peaks. We've got the rising trend line from the October lows. There's just, there's just kind of, you know, one support after the next between 39.50 and 4,000. So there's a tremendous amount of a, of, of a base that price action will try to find a floor. Now, as long as the markets can kind of hold into that 3,900, 4,000 range, get oversold and then turn back up, register another buy signal and then make a move higher, then that's going to suggest this bullish trend is still in place. If we take out all those supports, which are very important, then that's going to suggest that the bears have now gotten back control of the markets. And then we could see a potential retest of the December lows um, after that would be the October lows. So, you know, that's a, you know, you know, when you look at probabilities of those events right now, the, the probabilities favor the bulls at the moment, but it doesn't mean that you can't get a more bearish outcome. So at least something worth paying attention to. But those support levels right around 3,900, 4,000, that's going to be a, a critical marking point for the market when we get there. All right. Um, I want to give a little preview for uh, an interview that's coming out in this channel next week. Um, because I just recorded it right before we're talking here, Lance, um, with Sven Henrik, um, Northman Trader, very well-known technical mm -hmm. analyst. Um, great discussion, full two hours. It's going to make today's look like uh, just a, a, a super short little chat, Lance, uh, our video here today, um, even though ours always go long. Um, but Sven basically said exactly what you just said. He said there's a, there's a massive battle for control 
going on right now. Uh, the Bulls sort of seem to have the upper hand, but um, it's all going to, in his mind, like you said, uh, it, it, it's going to be determined by what happens if indeed things correct down here into that um, sort of 3950-400 range. Um, and he said, basically, um, if if that provides support and we bounce off of that, um, it's a really strong, solid green light that the market's going to run a good deal higher. In his eye, you know, as high as sort of 4,300, 4,400 on the right. S&P. If not, if it breaks below 3,950 decisively, he thinks it could go as low as 3,232, 32, like a real big drop, right? Um, so he said, look, you know, uh, too hard to tell which way it's going to go. So we just got to watch the tape super closely. Talked a lot about what we've been talking about recently, Lance, which is um, he, he said uh, this is the most challenging macro environment that he's seen in his career. And he said from a technical standpoint, he's never seen a year with so many potential possibilities of where things could go. So that's his language of saying this is going to be the year of the audible, right? Just like you've been saying, right? There's yeah. just so many different things that could happen. We can't be wedded to any single one. We've just got to watch the action very closely. And, you know, in Sven's language, use the technical analysis to really inform us of what is happening and what the probabilities in the near term are likely to be and use that to kind of cut through the chaos, the emotion, the sense of what should happen and, and really help focus on trading the markets we have versus the markets we either think we should have or wish we had, right? You're laughing right. at saying all of this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, you know, again, uh, so I just wrote an article that it was out on, uh, actually published it today on the website talking about how the, you know, investors are continuing to fight the Fed. And, you know, at the bottom of that article, I kind of go through the, the targets for the market for the year. And, and, and basically, it aligns a lot with what Sven said. I mean, our upside target is if you presume that, you know, markets can trade at 18 times earnings on a forward earnings basis and earnings don't decline anymore from here, which they're, they're still continuing to decline, you know, you can trade as high as 4,500. Downside's probably somewhere around 27, 2,800. So, but probably the reality is somewhere between 33, 3,400 on the downside and probably 43, 4,400 on the upside for now. And we may be range bound in that range for quite some time. We may rally, you know, come, you know, have a bullish buy signal here, get a rally to 43, 4,400. And then, you know, the economic recession sets in or the slowdown and we get it, we trade back down to 3,500, 3,600. Then we rally back up to, you know, 42, 4,300. It, it could be a, a situation because, and again, because you have, you're missing some ingredients for a raging bull market, right? You don't have the Fed increasing their, you know, their balance sheet. They're reducing it. Yeah. Like any encouraging macro data, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm just saying, you know, what, you know, between 2000, this is also part of the, part of that article that is on the website right now at realinvestmentadvice.com. But, you know, when you go back and look at 2009, between 2009 and the beginning of 2022, or, or sorry, the end of 2022, before the Fed started doing QT, no, sorry, uh, the beginning of 2022, before the Fed started doing QT, the uh, both the Fed and the government had injected $44 trillion into the economy. So that's QT, that's quantitative easing, that's bailouts for HAMP and HARP and TARP and all these things. So you had this massive explosion in asset prices. In fact, 
we wrote another article talking about the extraordinary rates of return over the last decade that are unsustainable because the long-term return of the market is about 8% going back to 1900. Between 2009 and 2020, we averaged 12% annualized, which is four percentage of points above what the economy can actually generate long-term. So, you know, the, that was all of that 44 trillion, 44, $45 trillion worth of liquidity just getting dumped continuously into the economy. Well, you don't have that now, right? You, you've, you've contracted liquidity by 500 billion since last year. Um, you've got higher interest rates. You don't have zero interest rates. You got five percent interest rates. You know by the you know by mid year with the Fed, ten year Treasury rates are substantially higher than they were. Mortgage rates are higher. So all that liquidity boost that you, that you had to drive asset prices higher, you don't have. And here's the interesting you know paradigm of all this is that everybody's hoping that the Fed's going to stop hiking rates. So we're running up asset prices because the Fed's stopping hiking rates. That's awesome run the markets up. The problem is if the markets are doing great and we don't have a, a recession and employment's still doing very well and the macro data begins to recover, by the way, if you're watching the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, it's turned markedly higher now. Um, so if all, if all those metrics are there, why is the Fed going to cut? Why would the Fed cut rates and why would they go back to doing quantitative easing? They're going to keep tightening their balance sheet. They're going to leave interest rates where they are for whenever the next recession comes. So, you know, all that liquidity boost that was there to help drive asset prices higher isn't there, which means that we could just be very range bound in prices for the next year, two years, three years, however long it is, until you actually do get the next recession wherever it occurs. And then you have to start doing all the liquidity boost over again. Uh, so absolutely. And I want to share a couple of charts from that recent article you were just mentioning there, Lance. Um, okay. the, the first one is the chart you referred to a few minutes back when you, you projected out where you know you see the S&P could go. Right. And the, the key thing I just want to note about here is there's a lot more downside in this range yeah. than there is upside. Correct. Right? Big valuations. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're trading it historically. We're at 29 times trailing 10-year earnings. So, I mean, yeah, there's more downside because of valuations. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to make sure folks realize where we are here that, yes, we yeah. might get a, 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 another rush higher in the markets here, if especially if they bounce off that key sort of 4,000 support like we were talking about. But there's not a ton of upside there. And there's definitely more potential downside if, if you know, a lot of the factors you just talked about, you know, come to manifest here. So it's just, I'm just kind of raising the sort of yeah. nickels in front of the steamroller risk here, right? And I think your chart sort of does a good job of visualizing that. Um, the other chart I want to put up here, just from what you just talked about, is um, this chart here of the Fed Fed funds um, rate plus balance sheet contraction versus the S&P 500. And it shows what you're talking about, Lance, which is, you know, the price of the index has been extremely correlated with the amounts of um, uh, liquidity that the, the central bank has pumped into the system here. And we're all of a sudden now at, at, at the tail end of this chart, which is where the Fed is beginning to drain the pool again from a liquidity standpoint um, and, and obviously make the cost of capital higher here. So, um, you know, we saw that the index sell off in 2022. Um, logic would would dictate or at least strongly suggest that if those trends continue into 2023, we should still see prices come down further, correct? But, well, yeah, li liquidity is is key, right? I mean, you know, and, th and this is the interesting part of the whole article, right? So 
the 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 entire premise of the article is that for a you know for 12 years it was don't fight the fed right you know low interest rates lots of liquidity that gives you you can discount um, you know, high valuations because of all this liquidity and zero interest rates. So you've got a discount value on future earnings and blah, 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 blah. Don't fight the Fed. And what's interesting is, is now the mantra has turned to fight the Fed. You know, you know, this is now don't worry about all this other stuff. Don't worry about the Fed hiking rates and, and raising that discount rate. Don't worry about the drain of liquidity from the markets. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. Buy stocks because they're going to go up long term. You know, the problem is you can't have it both ways. It was either don't fight the Fed when they were juicing the markets with liquidity or it's, you know, or it's fight the Fed, you know, regardless, but you can't have it both ways. Somebody's going to lose this argument. Just to, it just depends on when. Right. And we've talked about this before, you know, previously that that is the big question right now. Right. Is which 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 side, which what's the winning side of this argument here? Right. What the Fed <laughs> is no saying idea. or what the market's saying. Right. <laughs> and I have no idea. So. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting is I, I think in, I had a long conversation with Sven about this. Like, I think that we are all, um, uh, and we am talking to you and me, but probably many people viewing this. Like, I, I, I think we have our sense of what should happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but we got to be super careful as you have made the point again and again and again in this program, which Sven completely reiterated too, is you can't get wedded to what you think should happen because the markets are what the markets are. Right. Um, and they very well, you know, you, you very well could be right in your thesis, uh, but you might get killed multiple times along the way there. And, and I'm going to put some words in Sven's mouth, but this is pretty much what he said, or he said, look, from a macro perspective, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why the market should be, you know, some material discount to what it is right now. And he thinks we're going to get there. And in general, he thinks the probability is we'll probably have a stronger Q, stronger half of the first half of the year than folks expected. And then we're going to pay for it, you know, when, when the wheels really come off in the second half of the year. But he's like, that's what I think, but I don't know. And he's like, I'm smart and experienced enough to know <laughs> that uh, I, I can't trade based upon that strong proclivity. Uh, 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 I, I need to actually just watch what the market is doing and trade accordingly. And again, you know, he thinks, hey, you know, the, while I don't necessarily like the fact that the market's going up uh, from a from a systemic standpoint, because I think valuations are still too high, and the higher we go, the bigger the drop's going to be. But at the same time, if my indicators are telling me it's going up, I'm happy with that because I can trade that, right? Yeah. I can make money for my clients exactly. in that environment, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and look, and you know that's and that's the hard challenge of this. And we talked about this, but you know the, the fundamentals don't support where the market is uh, in, in any shape or form. Earnings are declining, valuations are too high. The market has expanded its multiple since January by 2x. So in other words, we went from 27 times earnings to 29 times earnings since January. And that's because earnings are declining and the price is going up. That's not healthy. That's not what you're looking for in terms of a healthy market. So, you know, this market is not cheap. The economic data is not strong. You know, it, it, and, and earnings are declining and profit margins, you know, look, pro corporate profit margins had a huge tailwind because of inflation. That inflation is going away now, which means the, the, the massive record levels of profit margin are also going to reverse at some point as well. So everything that you're paying up for has a lot of downside to it. And so, you know, the big worry over the rest of this year, and again, this is why I think we could just be 
very frustratingly range bound. And, and, and over the course of the next two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten years, I don't know how long it'll take, but you could literally just be stuck in a big, massive range for you know years, and you're just going to trade it because buy and hold isn't going to work because you're just you're going to wind up at the end of this ten year period making no money. Um, but there'll be some great opportunities to, to trade the market, make a lot of money. And then you just got to make sure and avoid the downturns, you know, right. along the way when it occurs. And, and I'm going to underscore that point because I interviewed Thomas Thornton earlier this week, former yeah. hedge funder, now publishes a hedge fund trading newsletter. Um, well, and, by the way, that is a well, that is a re required daily read. Uh, Tommy's uh, absolutely Tommy's newsletter. Yeah. yeah. And, and I should just underscore that in 2022, right, which is one of the worst combined years for stocks and bonds. He his portfolio returned 53%, positive 53%. So this guy knows a thing or two. <laughs> um, and both him and Sven, you know, who's a very technical trader, they, they both raised the potential for the market to be stuck in a trading range for a good period of time. And they both rejoiced over that. They're like, hey, that's an environment in which we can make a lot of money. We know how to make a lot of money in that type of environment. So right. to your point there, I just want to say a lot of people hear, oh, range bound market, that means flat. That means I don't make any return. No. Yes, perhaps if you just take a, a set it and forget it, buy and hold standpoint. But if you work with a good active manager, you can actually make a good deal of money in that type of environment. Right. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, volatility is, is in order to make money, you know, you need volatility. And that's one of the problems that we haven't had, you know, really even last year in 2022 you know, there wasn't a lot of volatility. The VIX never really took off by any stretch of the imagination. It rose a little bit, but, you know, there's not really been a lot of volatility. That sucks premium out of options. It just makes it very tough. You know, a lot of opportunities that exist um, to make money aren't really as, as available in a really low volatility environment. But if we can get into a, a big trading range environment where the markets can rally 15, 20%, 30% to the upside, and then they decline 20, 30% to the downside, and you just kind of wash, rinse, and repeat that for a period of time. You can make a lot of money just by trading those swings. All right, great. Well, you know, again, we don't know if that's what we're going to get stuck in or not. But again, this yes. kind of re further reinforcement of our, you know, guidance that, hey, uh, active management is going to become a lot more important. A year like this year is the year of the audible. We're going to have to be watching things really closely and be nimble to pivot as the, the playing field in front of us evolves. So again, folks, that's big part of the function and value of this weekly market recap is, is let's now be doing this every week going forward <laughs> to let you know where we currently see things uh, lying. Um, all right, I want to get to another chart that was in your um, uh, in your recent report there, Lance. Um, and this one I found interesting because you know, you have said um, rightly that, um, hey, if we do get a recession, this is going to be the most telegraphed recession ever, right? And lots of people have been talking about potential for a recession. Um, I'm guilty right amongst the, the, you know, the, the most vociferous of them. You've got a chart here that says that while economists might be forecasting a recession, analysts aren't. Um, yep. So interestingly, the stock analysts aren't on this recession trade. They, they're still, you know, predicting, you know, soft landing ahead. Yep. No, it's true. Um, you know, and again, that's, that's kind of a good thing. You know, we talked about this before is that, you know, the one thing that really bothered me last year, it still does to some degree, but it's getting better. Um, but one thing that really bothered me last year was 
everybody was predicting a recession. And, and as we said, you know, when everybody predicts a recession, the market prices that in. So um, as Bob Farrell once said, you know, when, when all experts agree, something else bound, tends to happen. And the reason that is the case is because markets are a, a bit, you know, we, we forget that the markets are not just this binary, you know, up or down thing. It's, um, it's a representation of a massive number of, of people and their behaviors. And it represents those behaviors. And so if everybody's expecting a recession, they sell, right? And so once everybody sells, there's nobody left to sell. Um, or if, if everybody's bullish, everybody buys, and there's nobody left to buy. And this is why markets cycle up and down over time. Um, but when everybody's expecting a recession, everybody prepares for that. So it, it, there's, a, there's a possibility you don't get one. The good news is, if you want to call it good news, I guess, um, is we're now starting to pull enough people out of that recession camp. We're now getting uh, this kind of movement back into, uh, you know, Jim Cramer and Janet Yellen. Uh, she just said last week, no recession on the horizon, which is great because Janet Yellen said, no more crises in my lifetime just before 2020. She said no recession just before 2020. Her track record is terrible for predictions. But so when she makes a prediction of no recession, that really leads into the camp that we may get a recession after all. Um, but the point is, is now you're starting to pull enough people off of that recessionary bandwagon that now opens up the potential that the, the, the economy, and again, everybody's coming off of it, so markets have been rallying, uh, that now opens up that potential to allow a recession to actually occur at some point down the road because you've pulled enough, you're starting to pull enough people out of that super bearish camp back into the bullish side of the ledger. Okay, well, we'll keep our eyes on this thing, but yeah, it's... Um... It's a it's a good sort of balance to oh a recession can't happen because everybody thinks it's going to you know yeah. again maybe the economists do but Wall Street is not yeah of that consensus opinion yet so you know not saying we're all rooting for it but if you if if you <laughs> think if you think that that lower prices are, are justified a trigger for that would be capitulation of sentiment right which we can't have if everybody's already bearish, as you were saying. Yeah. And look, I mean, take a look at consumer confidence today. Uh, University of Michigan reported consumer confidence came in much, it came in like at 66.4, estimates were 65. Um, consumer confidence has been improving markedly over the last couple of months. So, you know, despite all of the recession worries, consumers are becoming, you know, we talk about, oh, the consumer's having to take on all this credit card debt and this thing and that thing, the other thing, it's, you know, the consumer's getting crushed. They're getting more confident, which it does help, you know, feed into that non-recession scenario. But it's something definitely worth paying attention to. Yeah, and uh, I haven't had a chance to read that report yet, so you might not know this, Lance. But do you have a sense? Do they cite what's making people feel a little bit more optimistic? Because in a bit, I got a topic that we're going to talk about that's going to maybe show a growing sense of consumer unease. <laughs> yeah. At least well, no, no. yeah, like their inflation expectations rose. So they're expecting, you know, higher levels of inflation. You know, a big chunk of the, um, you know, it was interesting. The confidence of Democrats is declining. The confidence of Republicans and independents are, are growing. Um, don't know, you know, necessarily what to make of that, you know, particular division. But, you know, part of, you know, part of improved confidence comes from a rising stock market. 
And this was something mm. that Bernanke said back in 2010. The reason You're we right. do QE, boost asset prices, that leads to better consumer confidence. They go out, spend money, and that creates economic growth. And we've had, we've, we, you know, and everybody looks at the market. Don't forget here, this is a very important part. You know, everybody's looking at this rally since January, and they go, oh, man, the market's doing so well since January. This rally started in October. And we've been rallying right. since October from the October lows till now. So there's this has been a very, you know, the rally from January is one thing, right? The markets are up like seven, eight percent since January in the S&P. We're up a lot from the October lows. And that's what's helping feed some of that confidence. 401k right. plans are better and portfolios are up. You know, so yeah, forth. so it's been like three months of people seeing the numbers go up on their statements. Like, okay, right. phew, the bleeding stopped. Yeah. And now yeah, we're going the right direction now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you're getting a look, and you're getting a lot more bullish comment, you know, commentary in the in the financial media. Jim Cramer's, you know, rip roaring bull back again. So that's also a good contraindicator. Yeah, I know you've been waiting for that one. Well, yeah. this is interesting, and, and we'll revisit this in a few minutes because, um, you know, it's one thing to be told that things are getting better. You know, it's another thing to actually see it and experience it. And yeah. um, you had a line in your your article there that talked about the growing recession risk um, uh, is the classic, you know, the, the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> exactly. um, morale seems to be improving a little bit, but I don't think the beatings, you know, have have lessened at all. I think there's still, the, the, the blows are still coming. Um, all right. Well, real quick, just so I don't forget about it. Um, last week, we, we deconstructed your thoughts on uh, the Fed announcement and Powell's press conference after that. Uh, but earlier this week, Powell uh, spoke at a private club in, in uh, Washington, D.C., but he was filmed and, you know, everybody was it was expected. So all the cameras were there. Um, and he uh, well, let me put it this way. Some people have said it was a missed opportunity for him to clarify certain things that that were remained in question after the previous week's press conference. Yeah. Was there anything said there or not said there that you think is material enough to discuss? Yeah. So the, so just to recap, because it's, it's important. So at the FOMC meeting the previous week, um, what, you know, he said, look, we're going to keep ranking rates. Um, we're not stopping anytime soon. Inflation is still number one concern. So it was really a very hawkish statement. Why did the market go taken off running was because he said, oh, well, we don't really care about monetary, you know, financial conditions in the short term, which are now, you know, financial conditions are now looser than they were back in June of last year when they first started hiking rates. And, and so he's like, oh, in the short term, financial conditions don't matter. We're only concerned about those long term. Well, that was green light for the bulls to take off running, which is not good for the Fed because looser financial conditions improves what? Consumer confidence. If consumer confidence improves, they go spend more money, which keeps inflation higher, right, which is working totally against what the Fed's trying to do. So, you know, everybody expected him to come out after flubbing that whole comment at the presser to come out and say, look, you know, financial conditions matter a lot. They're too easy right now. We've got to keep hiking rates. And, and he didn't do it. He, 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 I don't know, he's given in, you know, he's been getting railed. I put a comment about this in last weekend's newsletter uh, about Elizabeth Warren. You know, she's been all over Jay Powell about, you know, his, you know, causing economic pains. And she's like, oh, you just want to put everybody out of work and, you know, solve your inflation thing. Maybe he's given into some political pressure. I don't know. But he's it's certainly- a weird give, though. Like, it's if, you, if you were, then, then come out and say something 
direct in the other direction, right? You know, g- g- give a dovish statement or whatever, but this weird sort of like, oh, I'm just kind of ignoring it, a little yeah. passive aggressive <laughs> neglect, you know, it's weird. I, it's very weird. And I don't know exactly, I, I think he's going to wind up regretting it, um, you know, at some point down the road, because again, you know, he's got to be paying attention to what's happening with consumer confidence. He's got to be paying attention to, you know, look, unemployment at three point, look, you you can slice and dice those job numbers in January, six ways to Sunday. They weren't which great. They did. <laughs> which they did. But, but, but those January employment numbers weren't great. It, it, it was, you know, we, we have these massive seasonal adjustments every January. You know, vast majority of those jobs were temporary. Full-time, you know, full-time jobs, which is what creates economic growth, which, you know, if you're supporting a family, you can't support, you know, you can, but it, it's very difficult to try to support a family on two or three part-time jobs. So what creates economic growth is full-time employment. There has been a net zero gain in full-time employment since May of last year. Right. So that tells in, in fact, in fact, it was a negative ten thousand. Yeah, exactly. Now, almost zero still, effectively, but it was on the negative side. I mean, it's yeah, it's not exactly. we're not making any more of them, is what you're saying. Right. And those are the most important jobs because that's what feeds for what you can look. You can't have a four hundred one k plan if you have a temporary job. You, you don't get benefits. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you know, everybody complains about all this stuff. So here's the thing, you know. You know, when you take a look at all that data, it, you know, it's it's not and you take a look at record low unemployment rates, you take, you know, jobless claims at you know very low levels, you know, job opening still very high. You know, all you know, improving consumer confidence, all that suggests that inflation is still sitting there. And it's not going to take a lot to see that inflation turn back up. In fact, CPI was adjusted higher uh today, actually, as a matter of fact. Um, so we're going to see potentially if interest rates start to tick back up, you may start to see the Fed just go into full blown panic mode because that's their big fear is that inflation takes off running again for one reason or the other. And one reason it'll start going up again is consumers are feeling a lot more confident because of easy financial conditions. They start going out and buying stuff. That's, yeah. that's the thing you don't want to have happen. So. I've probably asked you this question a dozen times already. I'm going to ask it one more time, um, which is, you know, are the markets just delusional here in the sense that, um, especially with a soft landing scenario, right? Um, where uh, if, 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 I mean, if Powell were just to stop now, right? Forget about the hikes he says he's going to do. If he were just to stop now and just hold, as he said, he's going to. You know, can this economy sustain a four and a half percent federal funds rate? Um, love to hear your thoughts. On that I'm pretty sure your answer is is like no, or not without a ton of pain. And Powell is likely going higher, and you just gave a scenario in which he might even go higher still, right? So, like, the market is acting like these rate hikes just haven't mattered, right? Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's and see, that's I was actually on. Uh, I, I did an interview with Charles Payne on Fox Business yesterday. Uh, we were talking about exactly that, which is he's like, look, Lance, you know, it's like the market's being very bullish right now, and I was like, yeah, and, and that's all fine and dandy, but you got to remember, there's and, and you know, I've talked about the lag effect, right? Yeah. And even Jerome Powell has acknowledged the lag effect of rate hikes. He mentioned there's, it a lot in his presser a week ago. There's. 450 basis points of interest rate hikes that have not come through the system yet. And he's going to be adding another 50 basis points or 75 basis points more before this is all said and done. 
you know, then he's going to say, hey, I'm going to sit back and then I'm going to see how this, you know, lag effect catches up with, you know, the economy, the markets, everything else. You know, there's, I think there is a more than reasonable chance that, so here, let, let's back up a little bit in history so you'll under, understand what I'm saying. I said this before when, I think when you and I first started doing this back in 2022, whenever we first started, 2021, when we first started, um, you know, I said, look, the Fed should have stopped QE back in, as soon as all that government stimulus, that $5 trillion from the government started sending checks to households, they should have cut QE off right then. Yeah, and, and sorry, let, let, let you, you glitch. So just repeat, when in 2022 did you think they should have stopped? Oh, yeah. So no, going into 2022. So, okay, so, 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 yeah, let me just don't start do any in 2020, January 2022, yeah. cutting off the spigot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you, I totally you, agree. Yeah, but. yeah. yeah. You, you, and, and you start raising rates back then, right? You started, you should have been hiking rates in, Jan, in January 22 and all through the year, should have been hiking rates because you had all that liquidity in the system. And here's the thing you know, if the Fed had done nothing at all, all that stimulus in the economy created inflation because you had all this money coming in, you had artificial demand, and you had an economy that was shut down, so you had no supply. So basic economics 101, too much demand, too little supply, you get inflation, prices go up. If they'd done nothing, inflation on its own would have come down as that stimulus left the system. You know, it was interesting in the, the, the recent uh, State of the Union address, Joe Biden, you know, basically said that, you know, he's responsible for the biggest deficit reduction in, in the history of government. That is really a false <laughs> statement because the, the reason the deficit reduced by as much as it is because all that stimulus, those stimulus programs were not renewed. So all that stimulus expired. Actually, X that stimulus, he's actually increased the deficits. Right, right. The government on a normal basis. Right, but because the, star the starting point was the most extreme amount of extreme yeah. deficit we ever had because of all this stuff. And look, I might have I might have confused people by misspeaking earlier. Just want to be super duper clear. Your position at the beginning of 2022 was that the Fed should not have been injecting liquidity into the markets right. through all of 2021, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's all. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and that's that's right because because again, you know, the, the the government was doing that job. They were sending checks to households. So the 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 point about this is is here's 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 the premise of all this. So it's kind of a long winded way to get here, and I apologize. the The problem for the Fed is this: is that that fiscal pig, you know, or the fiscal yeah, the fiscal pig is now moving, pig. is moving through the economic python. It's coming out the back end now, and. The Fed is going, hey, I'm hiking rates. Well, the problem is, is that that whole that whole injection of the economy that created all this artificial demand is going away at a time where all those rate hikes have not even shown up. I think there is a more than substantial chance that the Fed has hiked way too much and they're going to have an economic kind of undoing here at some point in the future. Now, there's no guarantee of any of this, but just logic says if you've got 450 basis points to 500 basis points of rate hikes about to hit the consumer, they're not ready for it because they don't have all that liquidity and savings sitting there in the bank that they had, you know, a couple of years ago. Oh, absolutely, and and neither are corporations, right? Yep. Um, so uh, th this is again where look, uh, I, I, I don't like I got to give my caveat because I don't want to give people the impression that the market's going to react to this tomorrow. It's actually my main point, right? Which is like. The markets, I think, are just delusional here because I don't know how the impact of what you just talked about is avoidable, right? Yeah. Barring some 
ferocious and unprecedented return to massive economic growth starting now, right? Which I don't see on the horizon, right? Yeah, we'll get some sort of bump from China, but I think it's going to be nothing, nothing near like what we'd need. Yeah, well, and then because you need need a bump from the Eurozone as well. They're a big trading partner for us. And look, it's possible though, right, Adam? I mean, this is the thing that that we've got to be careful you know, look, I could, uh, I'm making a lot of bearish arguments and they're all like, oh, Lance, you know, you're making all these bearish arguments. Why are you long the market? Well, because the market's going up right now. Right. Um, you know, th- you know, earnings have declined. We're down 50. So I track, and I've told you this before, I track the S&P 500 earnings from S&P. Um, they're down about 17.5% from their peak in May. So there's been a big reversion in earnings estimates already, you know, going through the rest of this year, but those are going to continue to get revised down. So you know, yes. You know, is there some reason that could could we avoid a recession? Yes. And as we said before, I don't know how we avoid a recession. You know, there's plenty of data that suggests we'll have a recession. Yield curves, leading economic indicators. You know, just throwing them down the list. There's just a ton of those indicators screaming a recession is coming. But look, the con- the consumer is seventy percent of the economy, and there's an old saying that you never bet against the consumer because. One thing about consumers, they're creative about finding money. And we've seen them do this right. before. During 2008, they were claiming disability and taking out student loans to support the standard of living. They're very creative about finding money and spending money they don't have. Now, there's a catch up down the road, of course. Right. But you know, is, is there a way we could avoid a recession? Sure. Is the market sniffing that out? Possibly. Um, I, you know, It's hard for me to... to, to, to be uber bullish and say, yeah, the market's right. And they, because the markets can be wrong too. So, you know, we'll see how this plays out, you know, but this is the dichotomy that makes it so difficult right now. The markets are doing one thing, which, you know, we, we previously added a good bit of exposure to the markets, you know, for that rally. We took that off last Monday on the 30th prior to the, the FOMC meeting um, because we're, you know, kind of expecting this correction to occur. And then we'll, you know, depending on what happens with this correction, we'll either add some exposure back or we'll take more off. It just depends on what happens. But this is going to be a very challenging year uh, between what the market does and what emotional, even data-driven viewpoints, you know, be. Because, because again, it's just you and I are talking. It is like the markets are just disconnected from what's happening, at least the way we see it in the economy. And one of those is wrong. Either the economic data is wrong or the market's wrong, but one of them is going to be proven wrong sooner than later. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, as an investor, we just got to really clarify for folks, you got to figure out where you fall on that 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 uh, decision. And as we've always talked about on this channel, then you have to say, okay, that's my primary thesis, but then I need to have the other part of my portfolio that's positioned in case my primary thesis doesn't happen, Right. And I'm going to use an analogy here, um, pull out the old tired Titanic uh, analogy, which is, um, and, and I'll, I'll say this is my current bias, right? So you guys don't have to agree with me, but um, the Titanic has hit the iceberg. It's taking on water. You know, right now, everybody's arguing about whether that's an issue or not, right? And, and the market is saying, the ship's unsinkable. Don't worry about it, right? Um, and what's interesting is, is, let's assume like the Titanic, that it actually is mortally wounded. Right. Well, you know, if you're sitting on the stern of the Titanic, you know, that actually started rising over time. Yeah. Right. So you would be set, you know, if, making a market analogy. Hey, we're going up. Right. Like, what are you talking about? Right? We're, we're going way up here. Right? 
But then it hits its zenith as the ship sinks, and then eventually that's what goes under, right? And I could see the markets doing that this year, right? Where like, contrary to the the logic of the person who says this ship has a gaping hole in it, you know, the market performance still could could surprise yeah. to the upside for the first half of this year, and and so far it's it, it's it's off to that side. So we we you know not saying that this is exactly the way it's going to play out, but I think that you know it, it's. It's certainly a script that's got enough potential that we need to think about it here. And I tell you, the one thing that's been surprising really, you know, this year, and, and again, you know, when you take a look at, you know, what goes on in the markets, it's been actually quite surprising that even on down days, you know, we'll open down in the morning, down one, one and a half percent, whatever it is, and buyers show up. And there's been a lot of days that even the market finishes down for the day, but will finish up off the low. So in other words, if you're looking, if you understand technical analysis at all, there's a what's called candlestick charts and they're, they look like candles. Um, well, it's called a candlestick chart, but um, you know, what it measures is, is the open, the close and the intraday movement. And so if your intraday movement is higher than, you know, the open, then it's a green candle. If it's lower, it's a red candle. So anyway, um, the point about that is, is that on down days, we've been having green candles, which suggests that there's buyers coming into the market, you know, even though the markets are down. And we've seen this kind of consistently ever since January. There's just been this, this steady bid underneath the market, which is bullish. Um, that tells you there's buyers there willing to put capital to work. The question is, of course, is how long will they continue to do that? And is there something that's going to occur that is going to start, to, you know, you know, forcing people to take money back off, uh, you know, other allocations and, and put it back in cash. Right, and and you know, right now we had um, a, a lot of the action in the first, you know, past couple of weeks has been short squeezes, right? Yeah, where money's forced to come into the market, right? Because you got to cover your shorts, um, and obviously, as as the technical data becomes more bullish. Well, then you begin to have kind of the FOMO, right? Of like, okay, this thing's going somewhere. And there has been a fair amount of folks that have you know, cash that's been raised over the, the second half of last year that is looking for a, a, an opportunity to re-enter, right? And so, you know, if, if enough of it gets incented, you know, to okay, now's the time to start coming in because this thing's maybe going to run to 4,400. Whether you agree that that's the right thing or not, whether you think the stern of the Titanic is eventually going to go under the water, you don't want to stand in front of that wave of new capital coming yeah. in, right? Especially on the short side, or you're just going to get crushed, right? So anyways, yeah, yeah, true. so what, what I'm trying to underscore is, is what you've said and Sven said and Tommy said, which is like, it's just a freaking tough market right now uh, for the average investor. And, and even you professionals have said, in some cases, the most challenging market conditions you've, you've seen in your career in terms about having real confidence about what's going to happen next. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. All right. So um, next week, we've got uh, an important announcement on Valentine's Day. We've got the, the latest CPI numbers. Um, I guess, <laughs> first, do you, what, what, do you have a prediction to share? Um, and uh, whether it's, High, low, or spot on? How do you? What do you expect the market reaction to be in each scenario? Well, I think the the most important thing is is the public service announcement, which is don't forget that next Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it's not going to matter whether inflation is high or low. If you forget your wife or girlfriend's Valentine's Day present, it's 
you're you're over. So that's it. That's your own personal hard landing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, just, it take a lot. Just go do something. And I think you, don't you have some offer on on jewelry or something for Valentine's Day? I uh, sure sure folks go to overe.com. The, the special offer I think is over now because they can't ship it to you in time. But uh, oh, okay. but but yes, get get jewelry, get chocolates, get flowers, get whatever you need to get to just <laughs> in, 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 invest in that. Exactly. That's the important investment to make this year. Exactly. That will pay off more than your portfolio any day of the year. <laughs> uh, okay. So having said that, look, I, you know, inflation's probably going to come in line with expectations, might be down a smidge, might be up a little smidge over, you know, kind of what expectations are. I'd expect probably a 0.2% increase. The important thing is about inflation is Wait, that- did you say increase? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Are you expecting the CPI to go up? I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I think CPI will go up by 0.1. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And look, the, the, it's the, the point is, is that we still have inflation. It's just the rate of inflation is, so the growth rate of inflation is just slower. We're not going up at 1% a month like we were before. So, you know, I won't be surprised to see us come up a little bit because oil prices have come up a bit. We, we've okay. seen, yeah, some things like that. So I'm sorry, yeah. you're talking month over month when you said, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, 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 month over month. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. How about year over year? Because that's how year most people year. think about it. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so, um, so yeah, year over year, I, it'll probably come down, probably somewhere around six point one ish. I don't yeah. think we'll, I don't think we'll be at a five handle yet. And again, it's kind of a ballpark on on how the numbers yeah. come in. Uh, but the important thing is, is that inflation is still increasing. It's just increasing at a slower rate. So even though we have, in, you know, inflation on a year over year basis is coming down, we still have inflation. So prices are still going up. Right. The, starting to interrupt, but, but so when right. Jerome Powell keeps talking about disinflation, that's exactly what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. It's a slower rate of growth of inflation. Now, deflation is when you have negative inflation. We'll get there. We're just not there yet. Um, but but so, yeah, it, you know, now the, the market's going to respond to this in the same way that they have been responding to it, which is if that number comes in a whole lot weaker, let's say that we have a negative Three percent, point three percent print for the month, and the inflation drop, the inflation year over year drops to six, or even heaven forbid, a five nine handle. This market is going to take off screaming because again, it's just going to reinforce that whole idea of a Fed pivot, even though the Fed's not going to pivot. By the way, there's never been a period in history where we've had inflation over five percent that you didn't have a recession. So, even if you get to a five handle. We're still in recession territory as far as inflation goes. Um, if inflation comes in hotter than expected, expect the exact opposite uh, reaction. That employment number in January for January that we had last Friday, you know, is inflationary um, because not it wasn't the jobs number that was important. It was the number of hours worked that rose from 3.4 to 3.7. That's inflationary. And that that feeds into that inflation you know, a problem for, for Jerome Powell. So, you know, markets kind of overlooked that. I don't know why, but that was one thing that even Jerome Powell mentioned that that's why they're going to keep hiking rates for now is because the economy is running really hot right now and still running really hot. And so if that inflation comes in a lot hotter than expected, which is possible, then that's just going to, that's going to drive Fed fund futures rates higher, probably five, five and a quarter. And that could potentially spook markets short term. Okay. And, and hey, I want to put up a chart that you had in that article we were talking about earlier um, that shows that right now, and again, it just sort of underscores 
the market telling the Fed, we just don't believe you, buddy, um, where right now the market's currently expecting the Fed to start cutting the Fed funds rate in July, right? Yep. So yeah, just, just, yeah, I mean, despite Powell saying, guys, look, I am holding it, you know, steady all year, probably into 2024, market's like, nah, I don't believe you, right? <laughs> exactly. and, and we've already talked about sort of what we think, but, um, you know, pulling Lance and Adam out of the equation for a second, Powell says, steady five or higher through the rest of the year, market says, uh-uh, you're starting to cut in just a couple of, well, a couple of months, yeah, four months from now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, they're not going to cut in four months. The only look, and this goes back to what I said earlier. The only reason the Fed's going to cut is because you either have a recession, a financial crisis, or a very sharp economic slowdown that they're trying to forestall. If you which don't is have, not bullish for stocks, <laughs> which, which yes is not bullish for stocks, but there's no reason for them to cut interest rates or to do QE if everything's fine. This is the one thing that that the market really is missing and you know and really is fighting the fed over there's no reason to cut rates there is no reason to to do this bullish stuff if everything's fine. So all right Lance so um we've both expressed our sense that the markets seem to be mispricing this but let's assume for a moment that they are correct right that they know something we don't. W Pontificate with me for a second. Like, what, 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 what could it be, right? I, I, I honestly, I don't know. Um, you know, I've, I've wrestled. I, I've written article after article on, on the website, the newsletter, parsing this question back and forth. Here's the bullish. Here's the bearish. Um, you know, I've got one. Uh, you know, coming out on Tuesday, just talking some more about. You know, uh, or sorry, last Tuesday, talking about bullish technicals and bearish fundamentals. You know, it, it, all those type of things. It's just. You know, what could the market know? I don't know what the market knows because it doesn't make sense what they're doing because the underlying fundamentals don't support what they're doing. You know, the market is banking on a couple of very important things. They're expecting no recession, a very strong recovery in earnings. So if you take a look at earnings estimates right now going into the end of 2023, they're expecting a trough in earnings in the first and second quarter of this year, and then earnings start to grow again by the end of the year which means you got to have economic growth going at the end of the year, which, right. you know, so that means we're at the trough of economic weakness right now, and that's going to start getting better. So if earnings are going to grow and the economy is going to grow and you're not going to have a recession, you know, you've got to have the perfect Goldilocks environment for the markets to sustain what they're doing now. If anything else occurs, prices have to go lower. Right. And, and sorry, but if industry agreed with the market, it wouldn't be laying people off right now. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Don't, don't even worry about that. That's just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no. All right. And look, you know, hey, so our gut could be wrong, right? It's going to yeah. be fascinating if we're doing this in the fall and markets are, you know, a lot higher oh, than they are right now and growth is, has been great. And we'll have to deconstruct and figure out where the heck it all came from. But yeah. let's go on the record right now and just say, you know, <laughs> we can't think of the the script for that right now, right? Yeah. Second from cold fusion and you know China and every other single country in the world, you know, suddenly returning to double digit growth or something crazy like that. Yeah, or, or yeah, I, I really can't figure out. And here's here's the thing. So, in order to have that environment work out, you you need you know more people go to work. Well, everybody's already working. You got to have you know more consumption, and people are tapped out. I can't figure it out. 
you know, I, I wish I could sit there and go, well, if we do these three things, it'll all be fine. Because the problem is the three things that we need, which is, you know, we have an economy that's driven entirely by low interest rate debt. So you need interest rates back towards zero, which means to get interest rates back to zero, you've got to have a recession or a big economic slowdown to drive rates lower. So, so again, everything you need to create that type of economic growth, I just don't see how you get there without having a recession. So it just, or just, it not, and throw the word recession out for a moment, just an economic reversal. You know, it could be a soft land, it could be a, 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 a soft recession, whatever. But you're going to have to have an economic reversal at some point to get everything in place, to have a resurgence of the economic growth you need to support value. And again, I just, I don't know how you get that. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. And, and also, you know, we've talked about how the Fed is kind of like that, you know, super tanker driver, right? Where they, they're very reactive. Oh, I'm too far one direction. I got to turn the wheel. And now we got to wait a long time for the ship to start turning that way. And oh, all right, we turned too far. Now we got to keep, you know, turn the other direction, and slowly go back again, right? So they were too slow to, to start, too slow to stop uh, intervening and too slow to start a rate hiking, right? So as you've said, they could very well have already passed the point of over-tightening right now. They just don't know it yet, right? Which is meaning that they're going to make the, the future recession even deeper and more painful than it needs to be. And they're still doing rate hikes as we talk, right? If we get to that point where something breaks, you know, and they say, oh God, we've, we've tightened too much. Well, then they're going to jam the wheel to the left and it's going to take a long time, you know, first to get rid of all the, the lag effect and everything we talked about. But then, you know, they'll come back in the other direction and probably create yet another issue by doing that, right? Yeah. So, you know, this this sense of like, oh, the Fed is going to magically land the plane as soft as a butterfly here, and everything's going to be perfect, and there's going to be no destruction, um, just doesn't seem likely. I mean, and I'm being real generous with that. So anyways, um, all right. Uh, Again, we're going to be tracking this every week, folks. We'll, we'll we'll let you know how this plays out. And as Lance has underscored many, many times, um, it's important to know what we think should happen um, from a, a macro standpoint, but that doesn't mean the markets are going to behave according to it. And so we have to pay attention as well to what the markets are doing, because that's actually how you make your money. Yep. Um, all right. So uh, I... I we touched just a, sec, a minute ago about the, the topic of layoffs. And I, I do want to note just today, literally just did a quick Google search before I hopped on here. Um, past you know day or two, we've had Disney announce substantial layoffs. Microsoft, another round of layoffs. Yahoo, my old alma mater, just laid off 20, or is laying off 20% of its workforce. News Corp, Zoom, Baxter Biotech, GitHub. Uh, these are all just names in the past, like I said, 24, 48 hours. Um, so that the layoff wave is continuing, the contagion's continuing to spread outside of tech. Um, uh, you know, we're 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 not at uh, hair on fire levels yet, but we are seeing an acceleration of this. And as as we just talked about, look, if 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 the corporate America agreed with the markets that we'd be growing uh, the economy substantially again by mid year, you wouldn't be letting these people go. You they, they were expensive to hire, they were hard to find. You'd be putting those people to work to create that earnings growth that we're expecting to see two quarters from now, right? But that's not what's going on. Um, and, and by the way, just you know, talking about that too, the insider sales ratio. So if you look at insider sales versus buys, or you can do a ratio of that. That hit like it's it's come down some over the last week, but like the week prior, it was at one of the highest levels that we've seen in like the last three years. So. 
you know, insiders are, are selling stock, you know, into this rally, which should tell you something as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the classic rats leaving the sinking ship indicator, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I'm glad you noted that. So, yeah. So, again, all, you know, all these indicators, you know, what, what are you going to believe? What, what the markets are telling you or are you going to believe your own lying eyes, right? Right, um, right so now, the markets telling us. I put out a tweet uh yesterday just saying hey look i'm i'm beginning to hear more and more people that i know who are getting impacted by layoffs right i think i mentioned this a couple of weeks ago i'd kind of heard my first one well now i'm hearing it pretty steadily like pretty much almost every week or every couple of days you know my wife will say oh hey honey i just heard that you know so and so sadly lost their job right so um in, in my sphere it's beginning to become quite a visible trend um and so i just put it out there hey wh wh what are you guys seeing in your personal lives and it was really interesting. It's kind of 50-50, mm -hmm. um, you know, 50% saying, I'm not seeing too much yet. You know, maybe 40% saying that and 10% saying, hey, it's still really strong where I am right now. Um, and of course, geographies are all different, right? Um, and obviously the industries these people work in colors their view, right? So like the nurses are saying, no, it's still, it's still trying to find bodies here, right? Okay, yeah, nursing's been chronically, you know, understaffed. We get it, right? Uh, people have been burned out by the whole COVID, you know, pandemic and everything. Um, but I'd say about 50% of people who are kind of like me, right? Where they're like, okay, no, I'm I'm beginning to see it. Um, again, maybe 40% like me and 10% like, oh my God, my industry is getting gutted, yeah. right? And, and what's been industry, interesting is, you know, the gutted ones have been more on the tech side, no big surprise. Um, they've been on uh, the housing side um, and on the construction side. And what's interesting is, is on housing and construction, um, or maybe construction, it's it's more, there've been some people saying, oh yeah, like the business has dried up and we're just trying to find work now. But there are other people in construction saying, nope, like there's still more demand than we can, we can answer here, right? And again, these people are probably in different parts right. of the country and whatnot. So it's showing you kind of where we are in the story where, you know, the full engine hasn't stopped yet, but but an increasing amount of it across the country is is slowing down or, or, or stopping. Um, but but I would say just the, the plain 50 percent of saying, yeah, we're actually really beginning to see this. It's becoming a reality in my daily life. To me, this is a you know, this is an important milestone. And my I'll keep asking this probably every month going forward so we can have comparative data. But my strong sense is when we do this in a month or two, Lance, you know, it's going to be much more like 75% of like, oh, yeah, no, the layoffs are going on. Well, and, to, and just remember, too, what, you know, what we see in the headlines are big companies, right? Yahoo, 20%. And, and by the way, if you're laying off 20% of your workforce, you didn't hire an extra 20% of people, you know, over the last couple of years. So you're actually starting to dig. You, you're getting rid of all the people you hired, plus you're digging into your longer term employees. So you're, you're cutting towards bone then. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But you know what? You, what what don't you hear about? You don't hear about you know the small business that has a hundred employees that just let off you know thirty or forty of them, right? You, you, those don't make the headlines because they're they're small businesses. But you know that's happening all around. Kind of companies are going out of business um, as well. So you know that's that's the part you don't hear a lot about because those those kind of companies don't make headlines. But that stuff is actually going on. Take a look at the Challenger Gray. Um, you know, turnover survey, it, you know, it's it's definitely rising in terms of, you know, layoff announcements as well as layoffs in general across all the industries that they surveyed. Yeah, so, um, well, whatever, we'll keep our eye closely on this. We, we've talked about this every every time. Yeah. Um, 
and, and you know what? Since we're beginning to kind of get near the end, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up what was going to be our rant for this week, which was, um, you know, Sven and I kind of concluded talking a bit about that a, a lot of the, the predicament we're in is caused by, you know, bad policy decisions um, that benefited uh, the small percentage at the high end of the socioeconomic scale, right? Yep. But the pain of of the poor decision making is going to impact the vast majority at the at the lower end, right? the bottom ninety nine percent versus the top one percent, right? And the top one percent is not going to be that affected by it, and the policymakers aren't going to really have to pay much of a price for for their penalties. And of course, they've been rewarded richly along the way too, right? right. So it's really kind of, the, you know, the regular rest of us that that have to deal with all the mistakes, dumb decisions, et cetera, of, of the folks that are running the system. Um, so, you know, Sven was saying, he's like, look, too, and I just, he said, I, you know, I feel bad for regular people and what they're going through and likely what they're going to be going through coming forward. And, and he, he underscored something that I've been trying to say, but I didn't put it quite as succinctly as him, which is, he's like, look, companies, they're, they're, they're loath to fire people, you know, they, they start with the rallies of like, we're going to get through this, and we're all a part of the family. And, you know, I know I'm asking you to sacrifice, but we're all in it together. And he said, all of that solidarity goes out the minute at the window, the minute the company decides it's got to do the deep cutting. And so whatever promises, whatever goodwill, whatever sense of family and team and shared sacrifice and all that stuff, you know, I'm sure they most mean it when they say it, uh, when they're up on stage trying to rally the troops, but it really doesn't mean anything because when the company gets into a, a fight for its survival, it's it's like a drowning person, right? They will take anything down with them if they have to, just to get one more gasp of air, right? So you know, if they need to cut you, no matter how loyal an employee you've been or your personal situation or what you've done for the company in the past or whatever, once they've made the decision that they're better off, you know, cutting you than keeping you, they're, they're just going to cut you, right? Yeah. And so um, as just to be a realist, um, if you work for a paycheck, you've got to be doing the, the, the scenario planning now of even if I don't think I'm going to be one of the guys cut in case I am, what am I going to do next? And of course, you might be a great employee. You might be one of the last ones they cut. And, and of course, the, the downside of that is you may get let go at the depth of the recession, right, where nobody's hiring. And I've already talked to a couple of folks who have said, yeah, I've kind of been beating the pavement since I got my layoff notice, you know, two weeks ago. And yeah, I've got three months of severance. But man, when I call these companies, like recruiters aren't just, they're not calling me back. And, and I've told them, yeah, because I, I think in many cases, the recruiters are trying to save their necks because companies aren't hiring, right? right. The recruiters themselves have to justify why they should still stick around. Yeah. You know, what you're talking about is uh, uh, something I, I wrote a lot about in 2008 called labor hoarding. And, you know, what you're talking about specifically is is that. And, and what we've got going on right now is labor hoarding. And what that is, is, is that, you know, when you look at the employment, all we've done. So, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, President Biden has a state union address. He says, you know, I've created more jobs in the last two years than any other president in history. Uh, not exactly correct, but, you know, he created 12 million jobs. Right. All we did was or, just or, or recovered 12 million jobs. But yes. that, that, that's my point. Right. Yeah. All we did was get basically higher. We didn't create new jobs. Right. So there's a very different word here of what's going on. All we did was put give people jobs back that they right. had before. But here's the important part. 
it's been over two years since COVID. And now what we've done is just gotten those jobs back. Well, there's been, there's been a population growth for the last two years. So all those people in the population that grew, they don't have jobs. And so this is why we take a look at labor force participation rates and we look at you know, the number of people actually in the labor force, et cetera. A lot of it you look at is like, that doesn't make sense. There's 330 million people in the economy. We've only got 130 million people working. You know, something's, something's not quite right here. But the, the point is that what labor hoarding is, is I just hired back all these really good employees and I don't want to let them go. So I'm going to do everything to your point. I'm going to do everything I can to hold on to these employees. I'm not going to hire anybody new, but I'm going to I'm going to hoard the labor I have because I can't afford to let them go and potentially go to a competitor that might hire them. I'm going to hang on to those as long as I can. They'll hang on to them until it eats into the profit margin and then labor hoarding goes out the window. So we're just not there yet. But that's also that labor hoarding function is also potentially one of the reasons we haven't seen the housing market really drop off yet. Right. right. Because People aren't afraid. Right now, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to move. I'm still paying my mortgage and all that, so I'm not going to sell my house. But when they start losing their jobs, that's they're going to have to sell to move somewhere to get a job. They'll have to sell to downsize or whatever the reason or go rent, whatever it is. But that labor hoarding issue right now could be a, have a very big impact later on this year. That's a great point. I, I want to talk about housing, too. Real quick, though, just on, on the topic of layoffs before I forget. One is... Um, I've mentioned this on the program before, but if you work for a paycheck, um, you know you, you are potentially vulnerable. And if you, uh, there are things that you can do today to reduce your odds of being the one cut when the company sits down and decides who they've got to cut. Um, but also, if you do get cut, uh, there are things that you absolutely should do, like in the first hour, couple hours of, of getting let go. Um, I outline all those in our free guide. Uh, that you can get at wealthion.com slash layoffs. I think we've called that our, our layoff survival guide. Um, but that that it's it, I think it's a very useful resource. I'm kind of depressed that it's becoming such a, a timely one for people now. But if you haven't downloaded it yet, folks, again, if you work for a paycheck, you probably should. Um, secondly, I just want to share my you know personal remembrance of graduating college in 94, right as we were coming out of a recession. And it's it, old. <laughs> I know, I know you're older than me. Um, but, uh, you know, it was tough, right? I mean, that was still back in the era where um, one, I mean, companies were were barely just beginning to hire again, right? So I remember what it was like. And of course, I lived through the, the 01 recession and the 08 recession too. Um, but I, I remember being young and trying to, to get started and, and wanting to be given a chance and being worried that I might not be given a chance just because companies weren't hiring back then. So if you're watching and you're a college age student, whatever, you know, that's important context to have. And if you have, if, if you have children at that age, you really should be talking with them about the issues that Lance and I have talked about here, J just so they're aware of the, the conditions of the game that they may be graduating into. Right. Um, and make sure that their expectations are aligned and that there are certain steps. You, you know, if you think, OK, official job positions might not be as abundant coming out. Um, maybe you'll think creatively in ways to come up uh, to, to create opportunities that are non-traditional in the interim. But you're, you're nodding at this, Lance, but you, you've lived through enough of these things to yeah, know yeah. what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I graduated college in 87 and my first job was right before the crash. So, you know, uh, yeah, I've been. Were, were you in and out? Like, did you get hired and then the company shut down? Oh, no, seriously, no, no, I work for a bank, but um, 
so I was, I, I graduated college, went to work for a bank and I was working in the CD department. So this is where we would match treasuries to the CD deposits and, you know, that type of thing. And uh, so, yeah, oh, it, was, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> all it was is that I'd been there for maybe, let's see, I graduated in August. And so the 87 crash is October. So I've been there about two months and the, and the market crashes, right? And so my boss convinces me that the entire stock market crash of 87 was all my fault. And so, and he let me believe that for like three months. <laughs> I was just devastated. I thought I was going to lose my job, the whole nine yards. And I was convinced that the entire crash had been my fault. So, and they, they had lots of fun with that, but that's, I was young and naive. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Because so. why? You you unplugged the wrong computer at the wrong yeah, time? Or what? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's, is, I bought the wrong treasury and that caused the whole cascade. So, Yeah. How funny. Um, since we're sharing war stories. Um, so I, I worked at Yahoo. I worked at Yahoo for a, a decade. Um, and I, my first day at Yahoo was super surreal um, because uh, I joined in 2001. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And and uh, right before. So I got I got my offer. And the guy who uh, who hired me said, hey, we're having the next all hands meeting the week before you start feel free to come to the meeting with me and you can kind of get to know the company that you're going to join. So I show up, I'm like, oh, this is great. And I'm here at Yahoo and wow, there's Jerry Yang and Dave Philo up on stage. This is amazing. And they get up and the two founders are crying and they're saying, look, you know, economic conditions have changed and uh, it's, gosh, it's the first time ever in Yahoo's history, we've had to lay people off. So next week we're going to, you, you know, stay at your desks because we're going to tell you who's staying and who's going and the CEO at the time, uh, Tim Kugel, you know, announces the board has asked him to step down. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, like, do I still have a job to come here to? So I show up the next week and I'm like, you know, setting up my little cubicle while people around me are getting the call to go in the conference room. And then they're coming out, you know, crying and packing up their little desks. And they're looking at me like, who's this jerk who's not been around <laughs> here and he gets to stay and I got to go. Uh, so it's totally surreal, but it, it really did, um, you know. Like it just underscores kind of the viciousness of uh, on a human scale on what goes on during these uh, these workforce contractions, right? Because they 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 by definition they have to be kind of merciless. The companies are just in pure survival mo mode. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. Um, and uh, again, I, I just we share these stories to just let people know what could be coming. Because if anything, we can't con control what's going to happen, but we can prepare for it, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, so you you, you talked briefly there um, about uh, if jobs go, then housing goes. Let's talk about housing just for a quick second. Then we'll get to your trades. Then we'll wrap things up. Yep. Um, housing, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of not good going on there. <laughs> you know, the data is not improving. Um, I just saw a headline here. Let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, increasing consumer debt could further hinder rebound as Americans' savings dwindle. So, you know, we're beginning to see stories like this in the press. The press has, has begun to shift, pivot from the everything's awesome all the time in the housing market narrative to, okay, maybe there really is something to this correction here now. Um, I'm seeing in my area, so as you've told folks, Lance, you actually sold your house last year and have been renting in anticipation of lower prices. You're putting in a lot of lowball bids. Uh, to my knowledge, none of them have been taken up yet, um, but I'll let uh, you- I keep getting outbid. <laughs> 
Okay. So, so well, I want to hear about your market in a second. In my market, so I'm in super high pricey Northern California. Um, we are having to move and we're looking for a rental for the next year and a half while my daughter um, finishes high school. And what we're seeing is in the rental market is a mirroring of what's going on in the purchasing market where the increase in prices have cooled, right? They're not vaunting up the way they used to. There aren't the bidding wars, et cetera. Um, and especially in the rental market, things just got wicked distorted during the pandemic where people were fleeing the city. So they were coming up here to rent and they were coming up here to buy their, their COVID free country home and all that stuff, right? All that demand's now gone. Um, but the 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 landlords just don't want to give up those tasty rates, right? I mean, rates went bananas. They went up like 50% in two years, right? So we have these stupidly high rental prices that really nobody wants to pay. And the inventory is just sitting on the markets month after month after month. But these guys don't want to budge prices yet. And now I'm, all of a sudden, I'm beginning to see small little price reductions. We're beginning to see more inventory finally coming on. It feels like they're now kind of beginning to panic a little bit. Like, okay, I, I don't want to be having to chase this market down. So let me start, you know, discounting a little bit now. Um, again, I feel like they're still way behind where reality is. Um, but that's what I'm seeing here. What are you seeing where you are in Houston? Well, so so again, you know, my, my situation is kind of different because we're trying to buy uh, a place in a specific neighborhood inside a loop. So there's no more land which means that prices are fairly sticky. But what is interesting is, is that we've put in, I've, I've been putting in offers on houses and I keep getting outbid on these houses. So these houses aren't sitting around for very long. Literally uh, one house I bid on, I put the offer in, the house listed on Sunday, I put an offer on Monday and there were four offers by Tuesday. So, wow. so there's still demand there. Yeah, yeah, there's still demand and I'm not chasing. So they call me back and go, do you want to put it in the best and final? I'm not, nope, I, I'm not, I'm not, getting in a bidding war. So you've got my offer, it's all cash, take your pick. Um, but you know, they're going with that. But the other side of this is interesting is I've put some bids on houses and I've gotten calls back from the owner saying, we really want to sell you this house, but we can't go lower than this price because that's our cost. And we can't, we, we just don't want to lose money on the house. So I'm like, that's not the way this game works. You know, here's my <laughs> offer. That's what you own it for. You're going to take a loss if you want to get to this house because what they're not factoring in yet is they're still paying that mortgage every month, right? So they're eventually going to come down to my price, even if they do nothing and leave my offer sitting out there. By the time they keep paying that mortgage, taxes, everything else on that, utilities, everything else, they're eventually going to wind up at my price. It's just a function of time. So they're going to figure it out. So it's just been an interesting kind of a situation in this one specific neighborhood in the market is that there's some houses that are moving really fast. There's other houses that aren't. And it's kind of spotty as to which house it is. So, you know, we're just continuing to put offers out there and we'll see if we get lucky and, you know, we'll go from there. I'm not okay. anything. So, yeah, but, but, but you're sort of underscoring my, my I think my general point, which is we're, we're kind of in that wily e. coyote moment, right? Where <laughs> it's not going up anymore. Pretty inevitably, it's probably going to go down, probably by a good amount, but they're not yet willing to acknowledge gravity, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, they just went off the cliff. They have, and it is interesting because a lot of these home prices have come down. They just haven't come down enough yet. Yeah. And, and, and so there's, and again, you kind of just went off that cliff and they're all in denial that prices are going to come down. Now, the only thing that may derail my whole plan 
is if mortgage rates drop really sharply. We talked about that last week. If you have a big drop in mortgage rates, then that's going to fuel demand for the housing market again. So that's going to sure. totally screw me well, up on plan to buy a house. Right. Realistically, what's going to cause that besides a massive Fed pivot? Well, yeah, look, look. But the only reason Fed's going to pivot again is the recession, which drops mortgage rates. And exactly. But nobody's going to buy a house then either. So, right. you know, it's it's going to be, it'll be an interesting paradigm when we get there. Right, right. So my point being the the, the white knight of a, of a lower, substantially lower mortgage rate bumping house prices is probably not going to happen anytime super soon. Because if it were to happen, you'd have to get rid of all the horrible yeah. reasons that created the pivot in the first place first. Exactly. Yeah. And, and from a from a sentiment standpoint, your story is, I think, instructive where the seller logic, the home seller logic has been, uh, well, I don't want to bring my price down because prices only go up, right? <laughs> to, okay, prices have stopped going up. Uh, I guess I need to move my price down a, a little bit to move it, right? So it's just, you know, kind of a token decline, right? Yeah. And then it, then it goes to, okay, well, I want to at least sell the house for what I have in it, right? And then it gets to, okay, I guess I have to sell the house for the market rate, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, of course, the answer at any point there is you're going to sell it for the market rate, right? But the seller's logic, it's taken a while to catch up to that, right? I've got this, I've got this whole series of fantasies I'm trying to price to before <laughs> I accept that the market rate is going to be what, what sells this thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, look, so let's get to your trades um, in in this, you know, moment of uncertainty, this battle for control between bulls and bears. Have you guys deployed much capital in the past week? Or are you kind of waiting to see what happens yeah. when the dust settles? No, no. So, so, you know, like I said, last Monday, the 30th, we actually took about 8% of our portfolio off, right? Raised cash going into the FOMC meeting because we didn't know what was going to happen with yep. the um, the only thing that we did last week is Goldman Sachs really kind of they didn't their their earnings report was a mess. Um, stock dropped pretty sharply, then rallied right back. Um, so we, you know, uh, on that rally, we sold our position and we um, next energy added to our position in exterior energy, which is utility. What we're doing in our portfolio is, you know, we added to Microsoft uh, before their earnings. So we're we're doing this kind of barbell approach to the portfolio where we're we're adding to growth, which you know we own Nvidia and AMD and Microsoft and Apple, Google, which you know have been doing really well this year. Um, but then we're barbelling that with deep discount value dividend companies that if we get a rotation off in this market from growth back into a recession type trade, those discounted value stocks will hedge the portfolio and provide income stream. So. We've been trying to. We've been. We added a couple of positions like T. Rowe Price and uh, Stanley Black and Decker with nice yields. We've got a couple other positions we're looking at to add. Uh, we added uh, uh, Philip Moore, uh, Altria, which has like an eight percent yield on it. So you just just we've kind of been balancing that portfolio between the growth side, which should participate with a disinflationary trend of the market, and the value side is a hedge in case something goes wrong. All right. Um, awesome. All right. Well, look, um, we're coming near the uh, the end of the hour and a half, Lance. Um, I'm not going to make this one as long as the spend one. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to honor my commitment to you to get you out and, and get on with your weekend. Um, real quick, just a couple of quick resources for folks. Um, one, just a reminder, if you want to get that layoff guide, just go to wealthion.com slash layoffs. You can access it there for free. A reminder that our spring conference uh, is still coming up and that the early bird pricing for that is still in effect. 
So to go learn more about the conference and to register for it, just go to wealthion.com slash conference. And, you know, Lance just, I mean, he's mentioned a number of, thing, number of things through this uh, conversation, just most recently the barbell approach and whatnot. I mean, all of the things that a good active manager has to be really good at doing in this type of fast changing environment and, and highly uncertain environment, um, which is why we always recommend that almost everybody, myself included, um, especially if you get a real life, right, that you're going to focus on, which almost everybody <laughs> does, um, that you work under the the partnership, uh, or the guidance and in partnership with a financial professional financial advisor who understands all the macro issues that we've talked about, creates a custom uh, portfolio plan for you based off of that, but then executes the plan for you in the sort of timely um, tactical manner that we're talking about. If you've got a good one who's doing that for you, excellent. Definitely stick with them. But if you don't, or you'd like a second opinion of one who does, maybe even Lance and his team there at Real Investment Advice, um, then do yourself a favor and set up a free consultation with the endorsed financial advisors uh, that uh, Wealthion partners with. Uh, they'll give you a free consultation. Doesn't cost you anything. They'll sit down. They'll do a portfolio review. They'll tell you what they think you should do. There's no commitment to work with them. You can take that advice, give it to your existing advisor, do it yourself, or continue talking to these guys if you like them. Um, to set up one of those free consultations, just go to Wealthion.com. Fill out the short form there. Only takes a couple of seconds. Lance, I'm going to let you have the last word as we uh, send folks off here for the weekend. Well, enjoy your weekend. And don't forget that uh, Tuesday is Valentine's Day. So the most important financial advice I can give you is don't forget Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right. Wise words. Thanks so much, buddy. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching.